0: Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland, I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse, and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts. We want to share our love of training and horses and learning theory. So we're gonna jump right in and begin one of our nonstop conversations. Dominique, in our last podcast, I said I was doing most of the talking and I wanted to turn the spotlight more in your direction so I can find out what you've been up to because I know you've made some major changes in your life recently. So do you want to share a little bit about what you're doing these days? Yeah, sure. So I retired
1: uh, from Cavalia, as you know, a couple of months ago. That was a big change because that meant that my horses uh, which have been living with me for many years went into a boarding barn so that's a new reality for me and both the horses and i are adapting to that and i've been of course continuing to explore positive reinforcement training with my three horses and my two dogs and doing this podcast with you
0: i think you should introduce your horses because they. They aren't just three miscellaneous horses. These are three very much beloved individuals. So who's sharing your life these days? Well,
1: I have uh, Woodrose, uh, Woody for the friends. Uh, so Woody is a small quarter horse. He was the first horse that I started clicker training, and he's... That
0: wasn't your first clicker train project, was it? Wasn't that... Canel, your dog?
1: Yeah, it all started with the dog, with Canel. Um, because when I got her, as you know here, the setup I had, my house was in the middle of the uh, retirement center of the Cavalia horses. And so I had horses all around me. And when she was a little puppy, she's a herding dog. So she would rush into the horse's paddocks and try to herd the, ho- the horses. And so that created a lot of stress within the horse herds for me, because I was very afraid for her. And so people told me that the only way to solve this problem was to get a shock collar because it was a distance behavior. And so I got the shock collar. I listened to the four hour DVD that went with it. I put the collar on her, but I just couldn't bring myself to shocking her. So I took the collar off and I still had a problem because she was running into those paddocks. And I started researching on the internet and I found clicker training. And I thought that was quite interesting, started exploring it. And at some point I thought, why couldn't we do this with the horses? And that was the beginning of the positive reinforcement program here at the uh, retirement farm with the Cavalier retired horses.
0: One of your first experiences with that, wasn't it with Skippin trying to get a halter on him, that he was one of the horses that didn't want to be caught? Am I remembering that correctly? Well, he was one
1: of the many that I started working with, but I would say Woody was probably the very first one that I started using it on. But then I had all these horses, you know, so I I was able to explore with so many different personalities, breeds. And with also all the employees, because once you start training many horses this way for consistency, it makes sense that everyone who is handling them should use the same method. So we started teaching the employees here how to use the method so that all the horses would be handled the same way. And this is where you came in to the picture because I needed an expert in this uh, new method. And so I contacted you in 2011 um, and asked you if you would come over and start this project with us. And then hired one of your coaches, Marla Foreman, who was very helpful over the years in exploring this method with all these horses. And some of them were, you know, high-energy stallions. Um, We had all kinds of breeds. We had about, I don't know, we had quarter horses, Iberic horses, Lusitano, Spanish horses. We had draft horses, uh, Arabs, quarter horses, of course, Palooza, Paints. So many, many breeds. No thoroughbreds. No thoroughbreds. You know, there's, um, yeah, strangely. <laughs> we had, I think we had one that was a mix of thoroughbred and something else.
0: Well, certainly some of the quarter horses had thoroughbred bloodlines in them. But you didn't have any pure thoroughbreds. And no Icelandics. Not in the retired horses. You can't have all the breeds represented. So Woody... When you started clicker training him, what was that experience like?
1: Well, when I started with him, I learned with him about shaping. And we did most of the work at liberties, And he loved it. And this horse, it's been, I guess, seven years now that I've played with him. And he's a very special little horse. People fall in love with him very easily He's because he loves being with people. You know, seven years of positive reinforcement has conditioned people in his mind in a very, very positive way. So, and I'm seeing that at the at the boarding barn because everybody's falling in love with him. He's just just so sweet and always is happy to see people coming in. So he's one. He was the first one. And I've adopted two other horses, one paint and one quarter horse, so one is, his name is Pico, he was in both shows, he did Cavalier 1 and Odisseo, uh, so he's, he's had a lot of experiences in his life, traveled all over the world, and the other one is a Palomino quarter horse, his name is uh, Bonanza, and you've worked with him because over the years you came almost what, every month to work with the horses, and so you've done some pretty amazing thing with this horse. Bonanza, Piafé, and uh, Passage. He's
0: part of the extended family. No question about that. Yeah,
1: so those are the three horses. And then I have another dog that I haven't talked a lot about. His name is Paco. He's a rescue dog. He's a big dog. He's a wonderful, pretty easy dog. So it's it's very often it's the challenging one that uh, teach us the most. And certainly Canel, being a border collie mix with Shetland, She's more of a challenged dog, and so I'm learning still so, so much with her.
0: So with with the horses, I know when you move horses, it sometimes is really a challenge when you're taking them to a new environment. I brought a horse to the farm last fall, and it's taken him quite a long time for him to really settle in and feel as though he's comfortably at home. And with some of the other horses, with our Icelandics, They moved so easily. When we moved to the new barn, it was, oh yes, here's the water, here's the hay, got it. We're all set, we're fine, we're settled in. And other horses, it can be months. My
1: experience with these three has been that with Woody, it was really easy. First of all, he loaded like a champ and I had practiced with him. And when he arrived there, it was a pretty quick adaptation. Picot, who was an experienced traveler, did not load well. But he adapted pretty well once we arrived there. Bonanza, I would say, still uh, not perfectly 100% adapted yet. There are still things that he seems to be worried about. And so we're
0: still in that process. I think that's such an interesting piece that we're observing in the horses, that horses adapt just as people do in different ways to challenges in their lives. I've certainly seen with people I've been coaching that you have some horses that just seem to travel well. They can go to clinics and settle right in. They can be moved to a whole new home and taken away from the herd they're familiar with. They can move to a new location and they make friends really fast just the way some people do. And then there are these other horses that just really, really struggle. And more and more I'm I'm changing some of how I think about what we ask of our horses. And that when we get these horses that adapt to change not well, that we really need to be, to go much more slowly with our training. The expectations for that horse need to change. That getting on the horse and saying, but I bought you to go trail riding. It may just not happen right away. And I think that a lot of people miss some of the signs of stress that are in the horse. The first few days, it can be really obvious that your horse is upset. He's pacing, he's not settling in well, he's not eating well, and then the signs of stress become a little more subtle. So Bonanza, you're saying he's taken the longest to settle in. What are some of the behaviors that you're seeing in him that would tell you that he's not completely at home yet.
1: Well, a day or two after we arrived at the barn, they the the managers decided to put a dressage mirrors in the arena, and for him, the, and you know how these these mirrors they make you look like. You're a giant. You're, they're like super big. He was uh, very anxious around the mirrors. He would always be looking at the mirrors. As we would approach the mirrors, he would you could feel his body tense. It would take just a flick of an eye for him to run away from the mirror. He would snore at the mirror.
0: I find that really interesting because to me, Bonanza was always a really brave horse. So I just find that fascinating, that, that his response to the mirrors, certainly a, it's a very typical response, that most horses, the first time they see themselves, actually they're, they're usually really interested in them. They go on alert, they may be anxious about them, they may not want to approach them. But then over a period of time, with some help from the training, they begin to become more accepting of the mirrors. They'll go past them, they stop staring at themselves, and they begin to, the mirrors just begin to fade into the background. But I gather that's not what's been happening with Bonanza.
1: Well, certainly, I mean, the uh, the intensity of the reaction has decreased immensely, but I feel it's still an object of concern, I would say. we were talking about expectations, I think, For me, when when I set my expectations, I know the basis is always to put the animal's needs first. And the animals will tell us what we need to work on, where the criteria should be if we don't want to set it too high. I've seen how much the clicker trainers uh, that I know, um, how they develop skills skills and willingness To hear what the animal has to say. It's a big thing um, allowing an animal to say no. Not something you see a lot in traditional training. There's a point where the animal has to do what is asked of him.
0: I want to just highlight what you said about the skills and willingness to listen to the animal. I don't want to jump in when you're about to say something really, really important. But that just seemed to me that that needed to be highlighted. Yeah, because you need both. You need both. So keep going.
1: Yeah, uh, I think this willingness, you know, when you start talking about the animals needs first, you it's not very long that you will start having questions about respect and the fact that the animal is doing this to dominate or is disrespectful. And this is one of the things that when I discovered clicker training, for me was so mind-blowing and such an eye-opener, was to finally understand what was really going on. And when you start learning more about operant conditioning, You get away from all the domination theory and you start really understanding all four quadrants. Four quadrants being the positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment and negative punishment. And you start understanding why horses are doing what they're doing. You also understand why correction can work. For me, that was very hard to understand. Before I discovered positive reinforcement training and the science that is behind it, it was very difficult for me to understand why traditional trainers were getting the kind of results they were getting with correction. Why were horses following around people who had just corrected them And you hear all these theories about, well, they love a leader, and so the fact that I corrected him, it makes him feel like they can really trust me because I'm a strong person, and they like to be around a strong... All these myths, when you discover the science, it gives you the information to understand what is really going on. And for me, that was such a breakthrough because finally I could grasp what I was seeing and I could, because my my values haven't changed. I was always someone who didn't like the brutality that you sometimes see in the horse world. I didn't know at the time that there was an alternative. But when I discovered all the the science behind this, not only could I understand that what was going on when correction was working, and I could discover all the fallouts and the effects, the long-lasting secondary effects of punishment, because that's very key. You may get a behavior right away with punishment, but there this does not come along alone. There are some collateral effects uh, that go with it. So I could see now and under I could I could understand, for instance, the difference between a horse that is petted uh, scratched and the difference between a horse who is receiving a scratch and is enjoying it, versus a horse who is receiving a scratch, and the scratch is significant because it means to the horse that he will not be corrected. And people say, well, see, he loves to be scratched. No, he thinks this scratch is very important to him because he understands it means he is not getting corrected, but this is not the same as a horse who is kind of, um, what's the word, Ingl- wiggling because you're scratching him some place he really loves. These are completely different things. And so it, it gave me an understanding of what, what, what was going on when correction-based uh, training was being used. I've seen your library,
0: so I know you were looking really broadly at the horse world. Because you're curious, you were looking at trainers who were using correction-based training methods. I know the videos that are on your bookshelf.
1: Well, I wanted to learn, of course, but I was also, every time I bought a DVD or a book, I was always so dissatisfied and so appalled sometimes at the things that I was told. And some of those DVDs are I mean, pretty explicit in terms of brutality, you know. And then there's all the sugarcoating, of course, that comes with it. But to explain it in a politically correct way, just turn the uh, volume off and let your the heart uh, your heart speak, and or just put a five year old kid in front of this DVD who has not had all the how should I say all, the, the, all the, the, the argument that comes with it and they will tell you this is violent and so i was extremely dissatisfied i didn't understand because i was hearing all these theories that didn't seem right to me and i've always been a critical thinker with with the discovery of the positive reinforcement methods it gave me back hope, like, wow, okay, so this is not just me being too girly with a soft heart that I don't like seeing horses being whipped. The, the scientific community has been exploring positive reinforcement for decades and has discovered that it's a legitimate alternative, one that is, of course, more humane, that has uh, positive long-lasting effects, and so... I I was just I was it was mind blowing to me when I discovered this, and all of a sudden it wasn't about this person's charisma or this person's method. It was just something that had been studied and applied for so many years over different all species, different species, and di- so the applicability. The the um how do you say in English the. It was, it was widely applicable, and it made so much sense. And the other thing for me that was a big discovery is that, because for, for many years, I kind of felt alone with my values. And I remember the first time I met you, it was such, um, it felt like finally I could, there was someone else in the world that had the same value I had. And that was such a joy. And since then, of course, I've discovered that there are many, many people like us on the planets and that this is becoming, I wouldn't say yet in the horse world that it's general practice, but this is really, really starting to gain momentum. And that's a joy to know and to know that someone else is feeling and looking at things the same way and that we are using a method that is not based on magic, not based on someone's opinion or charisma. It's based on science. And of course, science doesn't have all the answers. And that's what I like too about science is that it's always kind of auto-correcting and and it's always, always evolving, but it is the best
0: we've got. It feels like a real homecoming, that you finally found something A way of interacting with your horses, your dogs, the people in your life that matches your belief system. We started this conversation talking about our horses coming to new homes, and here we've wound the conversation around to another kind of homecoming, which is finding a way of communicating with the horses, a way of training the horses, the positive reinforcement training that really does feel like you've finally come home.
1: I'll tell you something else, too, that it gave me because I've been surrounded by professional trainers for the past 15 years. I mean, really top trainers. And we had some very interesting conversations, you know, because I would still defend my. I would say intuition at the time it was. And since then, because I've learned a lot, I've had some fascinating conversation with traditional trainers. Some of them have really open mind and are curious. But one thing that it did give me was with this knowledge, you don't have to have spent 20 years or 40 years in an arena. You can be a pretty novice person and get some pretty amazing results because of the knowledge. So all of a sudden, you can start doing things that before only a very experienced trainer could have done. Because this is making behavior so clear. How do you get behavior? Why does behavior happen? So once you have this knowledge, of course you still have to develop skills and you still have to connect the application of the training to the science behind it, but it just gives you such a big advantage that you can start doing things that only an experienced trainer would have done before
0: or understood. That's right. So what I'd like to do, because we're just, as always, we're just getting warmed up, but I think we're at a good stopping point. So I'd like to say, let's end here. And in our next podcast, I want to hear what you're currently doing with your horses and in particular with Woody. And that will tie right in with where we are with this part of the conversation, that you don't have to have a lifetime of experience to do some really cool things with your horses. So we'll draw this podcast to a close for now and we'll pick up again in our next meeting. So for now, we'll just say goodbye. This is where we ended this podcast, but our conversation is far from over. Dominique, you had a lot more to say, so our next podcast will be part two of this discussion.
1: Yes, and I know you have been wondering what I'm currently working on with my three horses, so we'll make a note to discuss it next time. Alex, it's such a joy to share my discoveries and questions with you. We're both so passionate about clicker training, I don't think
0: we'll ever run out of good topics for this podcast. In the meantime, we want to remind you about our upcoming webinar. Saturday, May 5th, at 1.30 Eastern Time, we'll be hosting our first Equiocity webinar. To register, go to our website, equiocity.com.
1: If you have any questions regarding the webinar, Be sure to visit the webinar section at equiosity.com and click on the More Information button. There you will find all the frequently asked questions about the webinar. I hope you join us. What comes out of these discussions can be pretty amazing. Hearing other people's questions is so interesting. The perspective each of us brings helps us see new connections and, what can I say? Alex is such an amazing teacher. Her answers always bring more
0: depth and clarity to any topic. Our goal is to give you information that will help you move forward in your training. It is your time, your opportunity to ask whatever questions you may have. And since we want to be able to answer all of your questions, We will be limiting the number of participants, so make sure you secure your spot before we close registrations. We also invite you to read the bonus articles before the webinar, as these will be part of the discussion. You can find the articles in
1: our Members section. To become a member, simply fill in the Member Subscription form on the Aquiosity website. Once you have sent your information, you will automatically get a password to access the members' library. Whether you attend the webinar or not, these articles are a great addition to these podcasts. So, until next time, enjoy reading and training. Bye!